This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rebecca Dittman, Liverpool, United Kingdom. Web address mercurialspirit.co.uk From October to Brest-Litovsk by Leon Trotsky Chapter 4 The July Days Already during the session of the Executive Committee, we were informed by telephone that a regiment of machine gunners was making ready for attack. By telephone, too, we adopted measures to check these preparations, but the ferment was working among the people. Representatives of military units that had been disciplined for insubordination brought alarming news from the front of repressions which aroused the garrison. Among the Petrograd working men, the displeasure of the official leaders was intensified by the fact that Zeritelli, Dan, and Sheditz misrepresented the general views of the proletariat in their endeavor to prevent the Petrograd Soviet from becoming the mouthpiece of the new tendencies of the toilers. The All-Russian Executive Committee, formed in the July Council and depending upon the more backward provinces, put the Petrograd Soviet more and more into the background and took all matters into its own hands, including even local Petrograd affairs. A clash was inevitable. The workers and soldiers, pressed from below, vehemently voiced their discontent with the official Soviet policies and demanded greater resolution from our party. We considered that, in the view of backwardness of the provinces, the time for such a course had not yet arrived. At the same time, we feared that the events taking place at the front might bring extreme chaos into the revolutionary ranks and desperation to the hearts of the people. The attitude of our party toward the movement of July 3rd to the 5th was quite well defined. On the one hand, there was the danger that Petrograd might break away from the more backward parts of the country while on the other, there was the feeling that only the active and energetic intervention of Petrograd could save the day. The party agitators who worked among the people were working in harmony with the masses, conducting an uncompromising campaign. There was still some hope that the demonstration of the revolutionary masses in the streets might destroy the blind doctrinarianism of the coalitionists and make them understand that they could retain their power only by breaking openly with the bourgeoisie. Despite all that had recently been said and written in the bourgeois press, our party had no intention whatsoever of seizing power by means of an armed revolt. In point of fact, the revolutionary demonstration started spontaneously and was guided by us only in a political way. The Central Executive Committee was holding its session in the Tarida Palace, when turbulent crowds of armed soldiers and workmen surrounded it from all sides. Among them was, of course, an insignificant number of anarchistic elements, which were ready to use their arms against the Soviet centre. There were also some pogrom elements, black hundred elements, and obviously mercenary elements, seeking to utilize the occasion for instigating pogroms and chaos. From among the sundry elements came the demands for the arrest of Chernoff and Tseretelli, for the dispersal of the executive committee, etc. An attempt was even made to arrest Chernoff. Subsequently, at Cresti, 
I identified one of the sailors who had participated in this attempt. He was a criminal, imprisoned at Cresty for robbery. And the bourgeois and the coalitionist press represented this movement as a pogromist, counter-revolutionary affair, and, at the same time, as a Bolshevist crusade, the intermediate objects of which was to seize the reins of government by the use of armed force against the Central Executive Committee. The movement of July 3rd to the 5th had already disclosed with perfect clearness that a complete impotence reigned within the ruling Soviet parties at Petrograd. The garrison was far from being all on our side. There were still some wavering undecided passive elements, but if we should ignore the junkers, there were no regiments at all which were ready to fight us in the defence of the government or the leading Soviet parties. It was necessary to summon troops from the front. The entire strategy of Zeratelli and Chernoff and others of the 3rd of July resolved itself into this to gain time in order to give Kerensky an opportunity to bring up his loyal regiments. One deputation after another entered the hall of the Tarida Palace, which was surrounded by armed crowds, and demanded a complete separation from the bourgeoisie, positive social reforms, and the opening of peace negotiations. We, the Bolsheviki, met every new company of disgruntled troops gathered in the yards and streets with speeches in which we called upon them to be calm and assured them that, in the view of the present temper of the people, the coalitionists could not succeed in forming a new coalition. Especially pronounced was the temper of the Kronstadt sailors, whom we had to restrain from transcending the limits of peaceful demonstration. The fourth demonstration, which was already controlled by our party, assumed a still more serious character. The Soviet leaders were quite at sea. Their speeches assumed an evasive character. The answers given by Shadit to the deputies were without any political content. It was clear that the official leaders were marking time. On the night of the fourth, the loyal regiments began to arrive. During the session of the Executive Committee, the Taurida Palace resounded to the strains of the Marseillaise. The expressions on the faces of the leaders suddenly changed. They displayed a look of confidence which had been entirely wanting of late. It was produced by the entry into the Taurida Palace of the Volinsk Regiment, the same one which, a few months later, was to lead the vanguard of the October Revolution under our banners. From this moment, everything changed. There was no longer any need to handle the delegates of the Petrograd workmen and soldiers with kid gloves. Speeches were made from the floor of the Executive Committee, which referred to an armed insurrection that had been suppressed on that very day by loyal revolutionary forces. The Bolsheviki were declared to be a counter-revolutionary party. The fear experienced by the liberal bourgeoisie during the two days of armed demonstration betrayed itself in a hatred that was crystallized not only in the columns of the newspapers, but also in the streets of Petrograd, and more especially on the Nevsky Prospect, where individual workmen and soldiers caught in the act of criminal agitation were mercilessly beaten up. The junkers, army officers, policemen and the St. Georgian cavaliers were now the masters of the situation. And all these were headed by the savage counter-revolutionists. 
the workers' organizations and establishments of our party were being ruthlessly crushed and demolished. Arrests, searches, assaults and even murders came to be common occurrences. On the night of the 4th, the then Attorney General, Perevazev, handed over to the press documents which were intended to prove that the Bolshevist party was headed by bribed agents of Germany. The leaders of the social revolutionists and Menshevik parties have known us too long and too well to believe these accusations. At the same time, they were too deeply interested in their success to repudiate them publicly. And even now, one cannot recall without disgust that saturnalia of lies which was broadcast in all the bourgeois and coalition newspapers. Our organs were suppressed. Revolutionary Petrograd felt that the provinces and the army were still far from being with it. In working men's sections of the city, a short period of tyrannical infringement set in, while in the garrison, repressive measures were introduced against the disorganized regiments, and certain of its units were disarmed. At the same time, the political leaders manufactured a new ministry, with the inclusion of representatives of third-rate bourgeois groups, which, although adding nothing to the government, robbed it of its last vestige of revolutionary initiative. Meanwhile, events at the front ran their own course. The organic unity of the army was shaken to its very depths. The soldiers were becoming convinced that the great majority of the officers, who, at the beginning of the revolution, bedaubed themselves with red revolutionary paint, were still very inimical in the new regime. An open selection of counter-revolutionary elements was being made in the lines. Bolshevik publications were ruthlessly persecuted. The military advance had long ago changed into a tragic retreat. The bourgeois press madly libelled the army. Whereas on the eve of the advance, the ruling parties told us that we were an insignificant gang and that the army had never heard of us and would not have anything to do with us, now, when the gamble of the drive had ended so disastrously, these same persons and parties laid the whole blame for its failure on our shoulders. The prisons were crowded with revolutionary workers and soldiers. All the old legal bloodhounds of Tsarism were employed in investigating the July 3rd to the 5th affair. Under these circumstances, the social revolutionists and the Alan Shaviki went so far as to demand that Lenin, Zinoviev and others of their group should surrender themselves to the courts of justice. End of chapter 4